name is John Strzelecki, author of The Cafe on the Edge of the World and the Big Five for Life series of books. And you are listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leader people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is John Strzelecki. Following a life-changing event when he was 33 years old, John was inspired to sit down and tell the story of the cafe on the edge of the world, his first book. Within a year after its release, word-of-mouth support from readers had spread the book across the globe, inspiring people on every continent, including Antarctica. It went on to win bestseller of the year in 2015 to 2019 in Europe and became a number one bestseller in North America. Through his writings and appearances on television and radio, John's messages have inspired millions of people to live life on their terms. He's been honored alongside Oprah Winfrey, Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra as one of the 100 most inspirational thought leaders in the field of leadership and personal development. When he isn't writing or speaking, John spends extensive time backpacking around the world. His adventures have taken him to Africa, the Amazon Basin, Yucatan Peninsula, South America, Southeast Asia, and more. John lives in Windermere, Florida, and is here to talk about his book, The Cafe on the Edge of the World, a story about the meaning of life. Welcome, John. Thank you so much. Great to be here, Bill. Great to be with Don. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? You know, we had a family friend. He was a buddy of my dad's and he was known as like a super funny guy. And I think that's one of the reasons people loved hanging around with him. But one of the things he did so deftly, so just effortlessly is he asked great questions. And I wasn't super like self-confident or savvy enough to even understand the, the, the gem of a human being he was in the way that he asked those questions. Like he would always ask me questions about how's life going? and the rest of this. And, and that was great and powerful. And above and beyond that, though, I saw the way he used questions to get his point across without having to say, no, you're wrong. This is the way it actually is. So if someone would be expressing something and he would say, that's interesting. I wonder if it's because of this or what do you think about this? And by planting questions, he inspired people to think. And I can honestly say that in the cafe on the edge of the world and the way that book is written, because it's all about questions, I, I owe a lot of that to this guy. Do you remember his first name? Jack. Yeah. In addition to writing the book, I'm always interested in when people name an influence from their early years, their teenage years or before, that it often surfaces as some sort of guidance when we're early on in our careers and we're suddenly figuring out how to adapt and how we're going to be in the work world. Do you remember a time maybe early on after college when you uh, were working a job and were making a decision and maybe it was about having a conversation with someone when Jack's influence or his way of asking or just the energy that he brought to that conversation came back to you and helped you make a different decision about how you were going to interact with somebody. I can't say that I was savvy or smart enough to be applying it when I was in my early 20s. I wish I could say that was the truth, but it was definitely something that I internalized. And as I got older, as I got a little bit wiser, as I got a little more life wisdom under my belt, I started to apply it. And it really wasn't only until years after that, that I realized, wow, like that's where I got that from because there was nobody else in my sphere of influence who had that skill set and that capability. And uh, like I said, it's something that, yeah, so I certainly applied in, in the way that I write my books and asking questions in the books, but it was something that I had applied. Definitely. I used to do management consulting and that was one of the things that made me good at that job is because I was able to ask questions and sort of diffuse situations by inspiring people to think in a different way. Do you remember an example of where you were applying that and how you actually stepped into it and asked a question rather than 
and just said, this is how you ought to do it. And, and, and maybe questioned, is it, are you making this choice because of this factor? Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of a very specific example to give you. I, I, d- I definitely remember sitting in client meetings. There was this one guy who was, he was a challenge boy. He had an ego that filled the room in every single corner. And this guy did not like being told what to do or how to do it, et cetera. And his company was floundering because he was so focused on just one aspect of his business. And I remember sitting in that meeting, nobody could connect with this guy. He just, he had, like I said, a huge personality, didn't like a lot of people, didn't like creative people, didn't like sales people, he had a whole list of people he didn't like. And so I was brought into the assignment, I think is the last resort. They're like, well, God can forget it's a hopeless cause, throw Strelecki in there, what difference does it make? But nonetheless, I remember sitting in this guy's office and I do, I remember asking him questions about what do you think will happen in the event that this doesn't occur with your business? It was they were getting funding through a particular source and that funding was drying up. And I really don't think anybody had guts to ask him, bring it in front of his face. It's not that he had done something wrong, but the funding source is drying up and it's, you can only pretend it's not going to go away for so long. At some point it's going away. And so I asked him that question and you saw him step back and think about it for a little bit. And he didn't reply at first. I remember that, but he thought about it. And I remember a couple of days later, we were in another meeting and he said, I've been thinking about that. And so I think that's the truth. That's the case with questions. Sometimes you ask the question, don't expect an immediate answer, but you may have planted a seed that will inspire someone to reflect on it or their unconscious mind will reflect on it and eventually get to a really positive answer. That same thing applies to all of us in our life. We can ask our own brain a question about something that we're aspiring to, something that we want to do with our own business. And it's a wonderful technique to keep a a little notepad by the bedside because when you ask that question right before you go to bed, it's astounding the stuff that comes back to you by asking the question to your unconscious mind. The way that you describe that is very illustrative and instructive because your book, you don't tell people you should have a purpose in life and you should know what that purpose is and it's important because that's four paragraphs. You could do that if you're just telling people. But your book is written as an allegory in order to help people travel with John, title character, and go through his experiences, share his frustrations, and look to problem solve with him along the way. How did you decide on the format for your book and actually to put this into a book form, John? So I had a really cool experience with this. So I left everything behind at the age of 32 and went and backpacked around the world for a year. At the time, everyone said, you're crazy. Nobody leaves a lucrative career. I was a rising star in the company where I worked. I was on the track for becoming partner. Everyone was like, why would you possibly leave that at 32 to go backpack around the world? But I had gotten to the point where I just couldn't see myself being 10 years older doing that job. I looked at the guys who were 10 years older and I was like, that'll be me in 10 years. Am I comfortable with that? Am I happy with that? And the answer was no. And so I had a lifelong dream of seeing the world and fulfilling what was really my purpose, which is being an adventurer. And so in the face of it all, I was like, that's what I'm going to go do. I never would have become an author had it not been for that because it was coming back from that experience that I was inspired with a 21 day stream of conscious typing experience, which led to the cafe on the edge of the world book. And uh, here we are now, 40 three languages. It's been six time bestseller of the year and over 6 million copies sold for my books. And it it wouldn't have happened had I have not taken that step in the direction of what everybody else thought was crazy. There's a major aha in that as it relates to all of us as entrepreneurs, as individuals. And that is that it doesn't have to make sense to anyone else. It only needs to make sense to you. And if you're in alignment with your purpose, what is that? What you're talking about, your purpose only has to make sense to you, right? Your actions too. If you know my, I didn't really have the clarity to say that my purpose is to go be an adventure. I wasn't again, quite that clued in at that point. What I knew is 
is that I wanted to go travel the world. I wanted to fulfill this desire to see different people and cultures, et cetera. And it didn't really matter that everyone else thought that was crazy. It was right for me. And so if, if someone says, I want to open a donut shop, it doesn't really matter if everybody in their family is freaking out or their neighbors are freaking out or their boss is freaking out. If you have a deep desire to own a donut shop, then open a donut shop. Because statistically speaking, the average life is about 28,900 days. And if COVID has taught us anything, it's that this life experience is fragile. It's not guaranteed. It's crazy that we didn't get that before. That's all right. We're human and we get caught up in the trap of everything else, but it has made it screamingly obvious that this is not guaranteed. And so if you have, whether it's to open a donut shop or to spend more time with your kids or to take on some other entrepreneurial venture, leap into the adventure. Nobody regrets that. They get to the end of their life and they regret what they didn't do, not what they did. That's the genesis for the book is making sure that you understand your purpose. How did you decide that an allegory would be the best way to convey that? Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of something called, it's, it's not about how do I do it? It's about who's already done it. And so for me, I went through, when I came back from my travels, something said, sit down and type. And so I sat down and typed and that lasted for 21 days. And that became the cafe on the edge of the world. It was very much a stream of conscious experience. And it looked like a book. It felt like a book. And I wasn't sure what to do with it to turn it into a book. And I literally, Bill, I went to my bookshelf and I pulled one of my favorite books of all time off the bookshelf, a little book called Illusions by Richard Bach. And I measured the book. I took a little ruler out. I measured it. Oh, it's four and a quarter inches wide and seven inches tall. Okay, my book's going to be four and a quarter inches wide by seven inches tall. And uh, what are the margins? I don't know, half inch margins in his book. I'm going to use half inch margins. And so in the absence of knowing what to do, I mimicked something that was both already successful and that I personally was tied into, that I was attracted to, I was drawn to, I enjoyed, et cetera. And so that's the reason that I chose that. I, like I said, the story flowed through me, so that was a big part of it. But the rest of these processes were tied to this other book. And there's a major life lesson in there that I've applied ever since, which is no matter what I'm trying to do, see your experience, it is not a question of how do I do that? It's a question of who's already done that and what were their steps to get there and can I imitate those? Because if we can get past the first three obstacles. After that, we pick moment, we get momentum and you start to get traction. The, the struggle for most people is one of the first three obstacles is so big and dramatic and life-changing that you, you fall underneath it and you, you don't get up, you don't keep moving. So this technique really is what enables me on an ongoing basis to get past those first three obstacles and get that momentum. What I love about that example, John, is that you didn't get hung up on finding that first. You wrote the book and then said, now, how do I do something with it that's meaningful? You already have momentum, you didn't get hung up on what typeface should I use and what margin should I have. You wrote the book because that was coming through to through you. And then you said, now, how do I get it out to do something with it and make it like books I admire? And there are lots of examples. And Jonathan Livingston's sequel is a great allegory. And that's something that you found resonated with you. You didn't look for the most successful business book. You looked for the book that was most meaningful to you and look to emulate the steps that they took. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's, I noticed with businesses, they're often formed upside down. And and by that, someone sees an interesting business opportunity and they say, okay, so the business model seems to work. I'm gonna jump into that. And then they say, so how can I make this as enjoyable as possible now that I'm in the midst of it? And that's how I would say the vast majority of businesses are done. And that's okay, fine. That's how the majority of business is done. And you can do it that way. And some of them can be successful. The most successful businesses though are done the other way, which is you start with something that you're so passionate, passionate about and so excited about and so aligned with your personal purpose that you literally cannot wait to get up on a Monday morning, Tuesday morning and think about it and work on it and tell other people about it. And when you do it that way, so you start with the passion, you start with the purpose. 
And then you can look at all the different array of business models that are out there for which there are hundreds. And you can say, okay, so which one of those seems like a great fit for this really cool thing that I'm super excited about? And again, you don't have to sift through the hundred business models. You can look at who's already doing those well that may already be linked to something similar to your purpose and blend the two together. So companies that are formed that way tend to be super successful. They tend to draw the best of the best talent. They tend to have incredible customer service scores and they tend to do very well. And so that to me is one of the key things I talk about with people is living in alignment with your purpose means if you're going to do a business, build it the right side up instead of upside down. John, as you're describing that to me, I think of companies that did this that weren't well respected, but became extraordinarily successful. And one of the great stories in this area is Southwest Airlines. And they built their business and said, we're only going to fly to certain cities. We're not going to try to fly to every city. We're to every city. We're going to look to fly to a spoken hub model. We're going to only buy one type of airplane. And we're going to maximize our business model around that. And they were very extraordinarily successful. They were extraordinarily successful with Herb Kelleher leading that very cohesive, very focused strategy. Other airlines saw the success they had and tried to adopt some of their success, but only did it part way. Maybe they did just a portion of their airlines flow direct rather than through multiple cities. Maybe they had a mix of airplanes that they used, but they bought more of the ones that Herb Kelleher bought. And I know of three airlines that tried this and then discontinued their programs because they were an absolute disaster when they tried to split their strategy. They didn't have a cohesive, committed focus. And I think that's illustrative of how this works on both a personal level as well as on an enterprise level. You've got to have something that starts with the passion and then follow what people did successfully all the way, not just a mix or amalgam. You've got to follow the model that was successful because it's like a recipe. You can't follow a recipe three quarters of the way through and expect to end up with the same chocolate covered, chocolate cake tasting the same way that your grandmother made. Yeah, I love that example. And I firmly believe that is true. And you look at so you're talking about Southwest, right? JetBlue has done a very interesting sort of mimic model on them and been somewhat successful. Spirit in the United States is another one where they've done something that's very interesting and unique and that they pick really off hours to fly. And so it's okay to freelance, but what you want to do is what you said. You want to make sure that you're great at that recipe, that cake recipe. And then once you've mastered that, then start freelancing and say, okay, so how do I want to enhance this? How do I want to, it doesn't mean you give up on the recipe, but you start tweaking and testing and trying other things that make an even better business model. Otherwise, you'd say Southwest has already got it all figured out. No, they've got a lot of it figured out, but clearly there's other ideas they haven't thought of yet or things that other people will add from other industries that can be applied. But yeah, your recipe for disaster would be taking half the successful model from this and half the successful model from that and just smashing them all together and hoping that for some strange reason that's going to work out right. Since it's so important to find our purpose, you talk about purpose for existing in, in the book. It's a phrase that John comes to use as a touchstone. How do we find our purpose for existing and knowing that it may change over time. Yeah, the, the concept of purpose is a really interesting one. It's something that's gotten more and more traction, I think, in the last decade. Certainly, I've noticed that with people connecting to the cafe on the edge of the world. And almost so, honestly, Bill, where there's a bit of the, I want to wait until I hear the booming voice from the sky perspective. Bill, you will be a podcast, right? And so, I, and listen, until I hear the booming voice, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and wait, and then I'll start taking action. But it doesn't, I, I don't find it really works that way. There are definitely people who at some defining moment 
in their life had this sudden burst of clarity and said, this is the path for me and I'm going down that. I think for the vast majority of people though, it's more likely that what you do is you look out at the world and you say, who's living my dream life and why? What is it about that that is my dream life? Is it that, wow, look at that person, they're doing incredible acts of service for others or, ooh, look at that person, they're really living an adventurous lifestyle, whatever. But you look at the world around you and say, what's intriguing to me? What's interesting to me? And that is like a good touchstone data point to give you some guidance. And then in addition to that, you just try stuff and you see what lights your fire. What has you excited on a Monday morning? Monday mornings for me are like the key variable because I worked so many jobs during the course of my life where I would wake up on a Monday morning and be like, I got to go to work. And there was just no enthusiasm. There was no joy. There was no excitement. Almost to the point, like literally, I would get there and be like, if I could fast forward time to Friday at 5 p.m., I would do that right now. That is the opposite of what you want because you're willing to give up fives of your life because your daily existence is so mundane. You want the opposite. You want the thing that you're so psyched about that you wish you had more minutes of the day to be spending on this thing. And sometimes that just comes with trial. You do a number of different things. You see how you feel. You see how your body reacts. You see how your brain reacts. And you start to narrow your focus and say, all right, so this is it. This is the thing that has me most excited every single day when I wake up. This is the thing I could see myself doing for 10 or 15 years. Because you raise an interesting point. Is it the kind of thing that you live and do and breathe for your entire existence? I don't think it's always the case. Like you may have a common purpose, which is I want to make a difference in the lives of others. And associated with that, you may have an accounting company for 10 years. And then you'd be like, you know what? I'm good with that. I've checked that box. And now I make a difference in the lives of others. I want to go volunteer and build homes for the homeless in Guatemala for three years. Or I just want to spend the next four years being a stay-at-home parent and make a difference in the lives of others means I'm 100% there for my kid. And so I don't think it is necessarily something that goes on for your entire life. It is something that in this moment is what calls to you. And then you stick it out until you see, you know what? I'm called to do something else. We spoke earlier about momentum and momentum is so important when we're embarking on a new path. When you wrote your book, John, The the Cafe at the End of the World, did you go from writing it in 21 days and then two weeks later, it starts to become a New York Times bestseller? Or were there some other steps involved that helped you learn that you needed to maybe develop new skills, develop new relationships, and maybe a different approach to take it to the next level? I think what you're always looking for is indicators. And it's part of life is figuring out when you need to give it more effort and when you need to give it a different type of effort. And so I will tell you a couple of quick stories as it relates to that. The first one is that when I got finished with the stream of conscious typing experience, it looked like a book, it felt like a book, it seemed like a book. And so I thought, I'm going to turn it into a book. And if I turn it into a book, I want to let people know that it is a book. And so I cold called the editor of a magazine and I said, my name's John Zucky. It was a lifestyle magazine. And I said, uh, I've got this book. And I was wondering if you would do an interview about me as the author, a profile piece, et cetera. And Bill, honestly, I was so completely clueless back then. I didn't know what I was doing. Oh gosh, this goes like 2003. And so you could tell the editor was like, what? Who are you? I just wore her down, I think eventually. And she got tired of talking to me. And so she said, well, send me the book. And I was such a complete amateur that I said, I don't actually have the book, but I have the manuscript. Can I send you that? Now, knowing what I know now, there is not an editor on the planet who would ever agree to that because it may never get turned into a book, right? Why would you bother? But nonetheless, I think I had wore her down. And so she's like, fine, send it to me. And so I had told her that I would give her a call after it had arrived and she had seven days. And so I call her back up and honestly, I got her on the phone and she said, hi. And I said, hi, this is John. And she was like, who? She really did not even remember our conversation. I was like, wow, that was a complete waste of a $25. Not with the response you were expected. Not the response I was hoping for. Exactly. And so I hang up the phone. I'm like, dang. And then three days later, my phone rings and it's her. And she says, we need to meet. That sounds a lot more promising. Yeah. So I met with the editor of the magazine. I remember her name was Mary. And we met at a place called Sam Sneeds, which does not exist anymore. But at the time it did. Sam Sneeds, a little restaurant. That's in the Orlando area. Yeah. Orlando, Florida. I've never met her. She's never met me. We sit down at this table and her 
her opening words to me are, your book has changed my life. Now, what was really fascinating about that, Bill, is that my wife had asked me during the course of these 21 days, like, what? I think the exact question she asked me is, what are you doing? And I was like, I, I really don't know. It's coming. This stuff is coming through me so fast. I can't even get it on the pages quick enough. And I said, I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but if it makes a positive difference in the life of one person, it'll all be worth it. I remember distinctly saying that. And so here was the very first person other than me to ever read the completed manuscript. And her opening words are, your book has changed my life. And this is what I mean by looking for those clues, those indicators. So here I was in the middle of, I don't know what I'm doing world. And I get this incredible connection point that says you're on the right path. And so that's a good clue for us to look for as entrepreneurs. If you're launching into something that you're passionate about, that you're excited about, and you're getting these indicators, those are the ones to listen to. Now in spirit with that, I told you I'd tell you two stories. So here's the second one. I remember I was doing an interview. I was in Taiwan talking about the books and I was being interviewed by a TV station and they were asking me about flow and about making decisions. And I had this great visualization come to me. And if you think of your life purpose as this thing that you want, this thing that calls to you, that you want to do see so your experience and think of yourself as a fast moving river. And at the destination, at the end point of that river is this, and that lake is you in hundred percent sync with your purpose. And that's where you're trying to get to. As you're moving down this fast flowing river, there's giant rocks, there's giant boulders. And I don't know about you, Bill, but I grew up in a household that was like, listen, you encounter an obstacle, you back up and you go at it again. Like you just don't give up. And what's interesting about that is, is the water is flowing down the river. You could do that. The water could back up and it could hit the rock and back up and hit the rock. And over a million years, it might finally make its way through that giant boulder only to then find another boulder 50 feet down the river. But water does something completely different. What the water does, if you ever watch it in a fast moving river, is it will hit the rock and then it circles back and it looks for something in physics called the path of least resistance, which means you don't give up on the destination. You're still moving towards the destination of the flat, calm, placid lake, which is you living your purpose, but you are not so attached to each step along the way that you have to blast yourself through every obstacle. Instead, you say, okay, that's the obstacle. What's the path of least resistance? This has been an absolute game changer for me because I grew up in an environment that said you just never give up on the same path that you're on. What do you think makes it difficult for people to give up on the idea that you've got to blast your way through every rock or obstacle that you encounter as you're pursuing a, a particular goal? I think it's a little bit misinterpretation, and this was certainly the case with me, of this idea of never giving up. And the, the real thing in terms of never giving up is don't give up on the destination, but feel free to give up on the paths to get there when it's not working out and there are better paths to be taken. In your book, a character named Casey tells about being in Hawaii and looking to follow green sea turtles as they're swimming in the ocean. And she talks about the difficulty she had trying to outswim and stay up with them when they, the turtles, are just doing their thing, what comes naturally to them. And she was a bit mystified by it. And it really serves as a larger metaphor for not trying to do what other people are doing. Can you expand on that and take us through the importance of looking inward once we have our inspiration, looking inward as to how we can connect with that rather than always looking outward to copy other people? Yeah. So thank you for bringing that story up. That is, it's interesting as an author, when you're interacting with fans and people tell you that's my favorite part of the book, the turtle story is one of the most commonly quoted parts of the cafe on the edge of the world back to me. And the essence of it is, as you described, she has this experience of swimming with these green sea turtles in Hawaii and noticing that in the face of an oncoming, incoming wave, so a wave that is literally in their face and trying to push them backwards, they will hold their position and just wait. Because if you've ever swam in the ocean with a moving current, you realize that when the wave is coming in your face, if you just hold your position, a couple seconds later, that wave is going to turn back. The momentum of the wave will come and actually propel you forward. Sea turtles are fantastically in tune with this and they will use that movement of the water. The connection to our everyday daily lives 
is that we are constantly, oh, and so in, in association with that, the turtle is a master of conservation of energy. It doesn't paddle all the time at the same speed. And Casey describes trying to keep up with the turtle and not being able to because she was paddling all the time. And the downside of that when we're paddling all the time in our lives is that we're using our time, we're using our energy, we're using our other resources and bleeding them off to the point where we don't have them anymore. And if you think about our daily lives, about the incoming waves, all the people who are trying to get your time, your attention, your energy, whether it's through advertisements, whether it's through text messaging, whether it's through anything that you can imagine that's trying to suck up your time and energy. Every minute you spend on those, every uh, ounce of your personal energy that you spend on those means when the momentum of you doing something that's in alignment with your purpose is there, there's this great opportunity. But if you don't have the energy to give to that opportunity because you wasted it on these other things that weren't part of what really mattered to you, then you can't really optimize it. You're not like the seat I like the verb fritter for that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you're frittering away. And so this is a major thing because in today's day and age, there is a nonstop, endless array of distractions. And more important than just the fact that those distractions are there, there are tremendous algorithms designed to figure out which ones capture your attention most effectively. And you look at a story of uh, polka dotted cows with pink tails on Google, and I guarantee you the next five stories that you're going to get pinged are exactly that. And so it's designed to draw your time and attention. And you want to make sure that you're getting that time and attention drawn in a way that is actually supporting the life you want to live, not keeping you from it. John, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Let's do it. All right. So at the beginning of the interview, we talked about Jack and he had a way of asking questions and he's, his example has stuck with you. When you were a teenager, John, what's a song that you loved? Uh, not necessarily the individual name of the song, but everything by Bon Jovi, I thought was the greatest thing ever. Do you remember going to a concert of his? No, I never got, I didn't have the money for that, but yeah, no, but I loved every song. I had my first beat up, super fast story, my first beat up old car, I had a radio installed by my buddy and the first song I wanted to play was a song by Bon Jovi. Fabulous. <laughs> the idea of aligning with your purpose is so key. One of the things that I think that it helps you do is it helps you focus your time and energy in the way that you just described so that you're always moving forward, even in the face of obstacles. What's one thing you think of that you don't do that would be frivolous that you just don't bother with because you are tuned into your purpose and aligned with what brings you satisfaction? I don't watch the news. In any way, shape or form? Any way, shape or form. If I feel really motivated because I feel uninformed, especially in times of COVID, I'll glance real quickly and then I'm out. I never watch the news. It's only a quick glance at the web page. Do you have a tool or system you use to help you stay on track and productive even while hiking? I, well, I have a number of little techniques I do. So I use uh, post-it notes and every night before I go to bed, I write down the three things that I want to accomplish the next day. And then I don't do anything else until I've done those three things. And from an author perspective, when I'm writing a new book, I write 10 pages a day and then I, I don't do anything else until I've got those 10 pages written. So focus on what matters most first. What would you say is the best business or life advice you ever received? Do something that you love. Life is short and you'll get to the end with regrets and that would be an absolute travesty. But you can't regret missing out on something that you really wanted to do if you've already done it. And what would you say is the best $100 or so purchase you've made in the last six months? I bought a fantastic fishing reel recently. Yeah, it's a Pen Battle 3. It's just a great fishing reel. It's a book other than one of your own that you've given the most as a gift. Probably Illusions, the one that I referenced before. I read it every year. Is Struber, is Strawberry Rhubarb Pie your favorite as well? It is actually. I got that. That's the main part of the cafe on the edge of the world. And it's in every single book of the series. My mom used to make it. We used to grow strawberry. Or we used to grow rhubarb in the backyard and we used to go pick strawberries every summer and she would put them together and make pie. Complete this prompt. I'm succeeding when? I'm succeeding when I'm living the life that I want to be living in the ways that I want to be living it. And how do you check in to make sure you're on track with that? Uh, I literally look at the things on my to-do list every day and say, if I do these things, how many minutes of my life 
of today's life will be spent in line with something that I call my big five for life, the five things that I most want to do see or experience. And if it's not a lot, I literally will cross them off and replace them with something else because it's easy to get distracted. You know, a lot of people want to get your time and your attention and your energy for good things, but it's just because you just because you can doesn't mean you should. And let's back up for a moment, John. One of the big things that people look to find your purpose in is they, they look to find a personal purpose because it gives each of us a personal sense of satisfaction and, and moving towards the things that matter most in our lives. We look to align with a company's purpose so that we're all following the same strategy and putting resources behind objectives that we want to move forward. From your perspective and your work, where do purpose and profitability intersect to create that that genesis, that gestalt that moves things forward at such a higher level with that momentum behind us. When you have your personal purpose aligned with your organization's purpose. So if I'm the CEO of the company, whether it's a small company, big big company, the more successful the company is, the more successful my life is in terms of fulfilling my life's purpose. So for using an example, if I have is my life purpose, again, to make a difference in the lives of others. And my company is a donut company and to make a difference in the lives of others, I see as being like, I want to create happy smiles in the faces of people in a joyful moment at least once a week. Then I can build my customer service model. I can build my customer experience. I can hire people based on that goal. Now, what's super cool about that is let's say that I've got 10 employees and all those 10 employees I should be hiring based on the fact that their life purpose is also aligned with make a positive difference in the lives of others. And even better if they also enjoy this concept of a smile a week. The cool thing is that when I'm home sleeping and they're at the donut shop on a day that I have off, as they're fulfilling the purpose of the donut shop, my purpose is being fulfilled, even if I'm not spending my moment on that. So you win on all kinds of accounts. You win while you're doing it. You win while your team is doing it. And it's not like you have to separate my life from my work. You have this beautiful integration of the two. And the super cool thing about that, when you look at business models that have succeeded in all different arenas, that when people want to say thank you these days, they say thank you with money. They buy your product. They buy your services. Whatever you offer, if they want to say thank you, that's the way that they do it. Because we don't barter like bags of rice for a chicken anymore. And so if you want to be successful, one of the things to remember is get comfortable with the idea that people are going to say thank you for the great work that you've done and fulfilling life purpose by giving you money. And if you're not comfortable with that, you'll end up sabotaging your own success. And that would be a shame because if you're doing a great job, you deserve to get those rewards. Explain what a personal museum is. Yeah, the museum day is something that I first introduced in the Big Five for Life book. And it's, again, one of those things that you talk about people come back to you and they say that was my favorite part of the book. So museum day is very often quoted back to me as people's favorite part of the Big Five for Life book. And the idea is very straightforward. It's imagine if every moment of your life was recorded as you go through it, everything you do, everything you say, all the places that you go. And then towards the end of your life, a museum is built to honor you, except that your museum will show your life exactly how you lived it. And so if 80% of your time was spent at a job that you didn't like or on things that didn't bring you joy, then literally 80% of your museum content is going to be that. And there will be pictures and videos and kiosks all showing you unhappily spending your time on these things. And if if you say, I love spending time with my family or my friends or a particular hobby, but you only spent 2% of your time on those loves, then only 2% of your museum is dedicated towards that. And to me, the big aha moment for this comes in is imagine if uh, heaven or the afterlife or however each of us individually perceives that this whole game works actually consists of us being the tour guide for our own museum for all of eternity. And having that thought process in mind, having that visual really helps us reframe the way in which we spend the minutes of our day and how we allocate towards these 28,900 days while we're here and whatever's going to happen after that. I'll tell you something super cool. One of the neatest things for me as an author has been when I create a concept like Museum Day. 
and then I see it enter the vernacular. And so I cannot tell you the amount of times I'll see people interacting with each other and they'll be like, have a great museum day. And that's something that didn't exist until this cool thought came through my head and I was, I had the opportunity to put it down on paper. And that to me is, again, that's, we were talking about how do you know when you're in alignment with your purpose? When I see things like that, when a concept enters the vernacular and becomes a way of life for people, I know that I'm a hundred percent doing what I should be doing and I'm fulfilling my purpose on the planet. And there's really nothing more rewarding. That's really the best spot to be in. As every entrepreneur who's in sync with that knows, those are the precious moments. It's not just creating a meme, it's giving people the opportunity to then align their own lives around it. So each of us can create our own museum days and the entries and artifacts that we choose to put in it by how we spend our time, our money, and our energy. Think about the donut shop, right? So you create the donut shop and think about every little kid who comes in there, every parent who comes in there, and you create a museum day moment for those people. That's good stuff right there. John, you have been so generous with sharing with me on my quest for the best today. I want to thank you so much for talking about people who influenced you, like Jack, and taught you the value of questions and how you can put things in a way that help people unfold and discover ideas, like that one person who you consulted with who was very hard to reach, yet you were able to plant a seed and help them see a different perspective that led him to making different decisions that were much better for the people in his company and in his life. You raised the issue of the fact that we have 28,900 days on average, which is about 81 years, in order to help people understand that we are making decisions every hour of every day about how we spend our time and to make sure that we're aligned with our purpose, what's giving us the most joy and passion in our lives. You talked about avoiding the upside down principle where we just go from one opportunity to the next rather than finding something that we're truly passionate about and then building a business based on a model that supports that. For these and so many more reasons, John, I want to thank you for joining me on my quest for the best. Thanks, Bill. John, before we say goodbye for now, tell me where is it that we can find out more about you and your work online? Absolutely. Uh, So my website is my name, johnstralecki.com and on all social media platforms. Well, John, we're going to link to your website, johnstralecki.com, and we're also going to link to Amazon to be able to buy your books and as well as all of your social media channels individually so that people listening to this episode of My Quest for the Best will be able to find out more about you and your work online so easily from our show notes. So John Strelicki, author of The Cafe at the Edge of the World, a story about the meaning of life. I want to thank you again so much for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thanks, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.